Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Last Sunday we looked at this topic, Citizens of Heaven. I'm going to continue that topic this morning. We finished two points. Our citizenship is in the present. Our citizenship in heaven is personal. And this morning, we're going to look at our citizenship, which is priceless. Our citizenship in heaven. I'd like us to bow our heads and pray. Ask God to speak to you this morning. Father, thank you. Lord, every time you reveal a little bit of yourself, it touches us deeply on the inside and it changes us. And I pray this morning, as we look into this whole understanding of what you've done for us, Lord, and our relationship with you, I pray that the revelation of this truth will change us. It will transform the way we relate with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, in capital S, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Very interesting. The Bible says God gave us His Spirit so that we can understand what God has given to us freely. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show it to you, we will never know it. And so often we live our Christian life unaware of the blessings and the privileges that God has given to us. And the only way for us to capitalize on it, the only way for us to understand it is by the Spirit of God. And so that's why it's important to pray. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us what God has already given to us freely. So the Bible goes on to say, the first point, our redemption is priceless. And so we're looking at our citizenship in heaven is priceless. The first point concerning our redemption. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, the Bible says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for glory. And then it comes down to verse 14 and 15 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So the Apostle Paul is uh, concerned about the church. He's concerned about the believers because he's in prison. And uh, probably their faith was shaken. They were more concerned of him being in prison than in their present condition of a lack of faith or whatever. And so he says, for this reason, he is kneeling, he's bowing his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Which family is he talking about in heaven? He's talking about a family where he is joined to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he's bowing his knees in total awareness that he's kneeling with his spiritual family in heaven, and then it says, and earth is named, talking about the church and the spiritual family on earth. It's interesting to know that when the Apostle Paul prayed, he was conscious he was bowing before the family in heaven. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's good to connect with God in that way. And when you bow your knees, or when you stand in the presence of God, you know you're standing in the midst of your spiritual family. You are citizens of that family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, along with the, all the angels worshipping God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, the Bible says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without blemish and without spot. 
So what is the Bible saying here? We are redeemed not by physical possessions, not by silver and gold. We are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word redemption means to be restored back to its original position. If I pawn my watch, the watch is no longer in my possession. My watch is in the possession of the pawnbroker. When I redeem it, the watch is restored back to the original owner, back to its position. In the same way, every one of us that God created was meant to live in the Garden of Eden, face to face with God, in the presence of God. Adam sinned out of his disobedience. He was put outside the Garden of Eden, outside of God's presence. The redemption plan of God is that through Jesus and his sacrifice, we would be restored back to our original position. Can somebody shout an amen? We are restored face to face with God. We are restored back into his presence. And that's why last Sunday, I said that, the, I said that we can have not only a close relationship with God, we can have access with God. That's what the Bible says. He invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might have access to God. We are redeemed people. We are redeemed people. We are restored back to the original position. Now hold it. I'm not talking about you dying and going to heaven. I'm talking about right now, right here. We are restored back into his presence face-to-face with God, having access with God, right into the presence of God. Does that make sense? There are a lot of Christians who are living in the future. One day I will go to heaven and there will be no more sorrow, no more joy. And so till that time they're living miserable lives. God wants you to experience His presence right now in this place. I want you to bow your heads for a moment and thank God that you are redeemed so that you are in right relationship with God as it was in the beginning. Just thank Him for that. It's priceless. It's priceless. And the way we have been redeemed is not through our works. It's not through silver and gold, but the blood of Jesus. And you say, Lord, thank you. I'm redeemed by your blood. I'm restored back to my original position. We who created us to be with you. And in your presence. And thank you for that this morning. Thank you. Okay. Before you start sleeping, let me get to the next point. Our citizenship is priceless because we are chosen by God to be His sons according to the good pleasure of His will. In John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, Jesus said, As many as receive Him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's priceless. You can't buy your relationship with God. You can only receive the relationship that God offers us through his son Jesus. As many receive Jesus Christ, he gave them the right. Some translation says authority. He gave them authority to be called children of God. To those who believe in his name who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Your salvation was supernatural. If God didn't reveal himself to you, none of us would be born again. It's a divine moment where the Spirit of God touches us, and the Bible says we are not born by human descent, we are not born out of blood relationship, but we are born into his family. We receive sonship, because we are born by the Spirit of God. And therefore it qualifies us to be called the children of God. It's priceless. Our position with Christ is priceless. Why? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 6. Because God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, the Bible says he made it possible for every individual who believes in him to also be resurrected together with Christ. 
I want you to understand that our citizenship in heaven implies that we live earthly lives with a heaven's perspective. We don't live spiritual lives with earthly perspective. We live earthly lives with spiritual perspective. And so Jesus, or the Bible is saying here, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for all of us, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are you sitting this morning? You're sitting on plastic chairs in Adnan Church. Physically. Spiritually, in your spirit, you are raised up together with Christ, seated together with him in the heavenly realms. So our spirit is linked up with God. You believe that this morning? When we pray, it's nice to pray from our spiritual position. I do this in the prayer ministry training, and those of you who have done the 90s school, I, I really suggest that you do the prayer ministry training that's coming up in September. It will really benefit you. But just a glimpse of, of what this means, our position and our state. Our position is a gift. It's priceless. All we had to do is receive what Jesus has done for us. He quickened our spirit. Our spirits were dead in sin. He quickened our spirit. Our spirits were made alive with Christ. Remember, not only we are in Christ, Christ is in us. Is that okay for you to understand? So our position is raised alive with Christ, raised up together with Him, seated with Him in the heavenly place. That's the position where I'm standing. But then all of us have a sinful state. Our state is down. And we say, I have this problem. I'm struggling with these thoughts. I'm struggling with these emotions. I'm struggling with these relationships. And we get so bogged down with our state, our sinful state. And then when we come on Sunday morning, you hear a message, we're raised up together with Christ. And you're beginning to think, I wish that was true. Right now I'm down in the dumps. And sometimes the word that has been preached can bounce off your head. Because you can't connect how can you be alive together with Christ, raised up together with Him, seated with Him in the heavenly place, and at the same time be struggling with day-to-day emotions and day-to-day struggles. Now here's it. As long as we live our life in our sinful state, we will go around in circles. And the more we look at our sinful state, the more depressed you will get. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because you're looking at the problem. You're looking at your weaknesses. You're looking at your struggles. You're looking at your challenges every time. And the more you live in your sinful state, the worse it becomes. So what did God do? Remember we looked at this last Sunday. But now, when? Now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, God redeemed us. When you got saved, you were resurrected in your spirit. You were made alive together with Christ. And now you're seated with Christ. The way I like to live my Christian life, the way the Bible suggests that we live our Christian life, is from our position. When we understand our position, we recognize Our emotions, our struggles, our challenges are down there. And we have heaven's perspective on what's happening in our lives and around our lives. There is a tension between our state and our position. We don't live in unreality saying, oh, I have no problem because, uh, you know, I'm seated with Christ. No, you live in a real world. We do face our challenges on a day-to-day basis. But we do it with a heaven's perspective. I'm not defeated, I'm victorious. I'm not alone, I'm a citizen in heaven. I'm not isolated. I don't have to be down and out because my spirit is resurrected. My spirit is alive with God. And we begin to look down this way onto circumstances where there is more hope, there's more life and and there's direction from God. Is that making sense? So please, our position is important. The more we look at our position and enjoy the priceless things that God has done in our heart, the better it is to live our earthly life. 
Our forgiveness is priceless. Because we know that we have been forgiven of our sins according to the riches of His grace. I think by now with all the breaking of bread and the teaching that's come to you, we understand that our forgiveness is guaranteed. And I trust there's no one here feeling condemned. There's no one here who feels that God will never forgive them. That's a lie of the enemy. The decision for your forgiveness was taken 2,000 years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus took that cup and he says, I will accept this cup of suffering so that you and I will be forgiven. Our forgiveness is already paid for. All we need to do is receive it. That's why the Bible says, according to the riches of his grace, we are all forgiven. Look at someone next to you and say, you're forgiven. Tell someone, you're forgiven. Now, if you don't feel forgiven, it's not God's fault. It's because you've not received it with faith. And we struggle to receive forgiveness. We don't have to ask for forgiveness. We need to receive forgiveness. God's forgiveness, we receive that forgiveness. It's a priceless gift. Every time you receive forgiveness, you're receiving something of God's goodness and God's kindness in your life. Our citizenship is priceless because we are considered heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, that's a lot. Heirs, and that's Romans chapter 8 verse 17. And is a person who inherits possessions and also continues the work of a predecessor. That's an heir. And uh, we understand what an heir is in human terms. The reason why Jesus had to die on a cross. Because he wanted to leave an inheritance for you and me. No one can receive an inheritance without them dying. As long as they are alive, you don't get any inheritance. After the person is dead, they leave behind inheritance. Jesus came into this world, identified with us, died on the cross to leave behind an inheritance. And now the Bible says, we are heirs to God and joined heirs with Christ. Not only we enjoy the privileges of heaven, the blessings of heaven, but we all enjoy the responsibility of heaven. And that's what the Bible says. We continue, the word heir means to continue the work of our predecessor. Jesus left behind not only material blessings for us to enjoy, but spiritual blessings with a responsibility. Our citizenship is priceless because Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that priceless? God is for you. Who can be against you? The Bible promises us that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, or nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God is so one with us. Our spirit is one with God. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We are joined with God and all of his angels. And if we are able to comprehend that and spend time meditating on the security that God gives us because we are citizens. The protection that God gives us because we are citizens. We looked at the definition of citizen last Sunday, but I'm sure you understand the privileges and the rights a citizen has in a, in a country. They enjoy the security because they're citizens of a country. And God wants us to enjoy the security of His love, His protection, and His blessings. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If God is for you, who can be against you? The fourth point, our citizenship is powerful. What's the fourth point? Our citizenship is powerful. The Christian life is a supernatural life. Don't make it natural. Everything about your born again experience is supernatural. Receiving forgiveness is a supernatural experience. Every time you pray and connect with God, something supernatural is happening. Our Christian life is an introduction to the supernatural. 
there are many passages in the scripture which are devoted to not being bogged down in the natural but trusting God in the supernatural. He is able to do it. In Luke chapter 18 verse 27, Jesus says, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. What's that? Live in the supernatural. Live in the unexpected. Trust Him for it to happen. You will enjoy the blessings of your Christian life when you move out of the natural and begin to start trusting God for the supernatural. There is one dividing line between the natural and the supernatural. And you know what that's called? That dividing line is called our belief. The realm of the supernatural is just beyond our unbelief. Our belief connects us. That's why Jesus told Mary and Martha, if you only believe, you will see the glory of God. Now, take small steps of faith. Start trusting God with little things. Start putting into practice your faith is like a muscle. Start exercising it. Trust Him for His intervention, for His guidance, for His wisdom, for His provision. The more you trust God, the more supernatural things you will see in your life. The maturity of our Christian life is not seen in how much we know. The maturity of our Christian life is seen in how much we can believe. Can I hear an amen? You see, your belief determines how mature you are. Your belief determines how much you really know. And that's why we go through trials. That's why we go through tests. Why? Because God is not testing us to fail us. God is testing us to promote us. To enable us to trust Him even in the midst of opposition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 20, the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. The first declaration that John the Baptist and Jesus made on earth is saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why did Jesus and John the Baptist say repent? Repent means change your mind, change your thinking about God. That's change your action. We, when we come to Christ, we must change our opinion about God. We thought God was far away. We thought God was distant. We thought God was angry. Repent means change your mind about God. And I trust that's happening this morning. He begin to understand that after all, God is not a harsh. After all, God is a forgiving God. God is a loving God. And so when we repent, we change our mind about God and change our action. Why was that necessary? Because Jesus was introducing a new way of life. A kingdom that operated contrary to the kingdom of this natural world. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything about Jesus' kingdom and being citizens of that kingdom was to overturn the kingdom of darkness. Now this is what Jesus did. We all know Jesus collected 12 disciples. He carefully chose his 12 disciples, trained them, spent time with them, and then this is what he said to them. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them power over unclean spirits. To cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Let me break that up for you. You know, when I read this passage of scripture meditating for this morning, I understood God's heart. He didn't come to demonstrate what a hero he was in this world. He could raise the dead, he could heal the sick, he can stop, uh, you know, the storms. He didn't come to, to exploit or to demonstrate his power for the sake of it. Jesus was concerned about people. He was concerned of restoring people to the way he intended mankind to be. And so not only he healed, he delivered, and he, he brought restoration. He said to his twelve, look, I'm one person who's doing this. I'm going to empower you to do it. Why? Because God wants his kingdom to be established in this earth. We are his citizens to enforce his kingdom in this world. So we're going to ask some questions here. When Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits. 
What kind of power did Jesus give the disciples? Do you and I have access to that power? Was that power only for those 12 disciples in that generation? What power was Jesus talking about? The power that Jesus was talking about is seen in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when now there was 120 in the upper room and Jesus says, go with them in Jerusalem and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So we understand that the power that God gave to the 12 disciples was the same power that he spoke about in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus give them this power? So we finish the question on what power it means. It is the the Holy Spirit. Why did he give them that power to cast out evil spirits or cast out unclean spirits? From where? From people and from places. The way God saw people were harassed with demons. And you can't help read the Gospels and find out almost in every page Jesus was confronting someone with a demonic spirit. Jesus was overturning the kingdom of darkness. Jesus empowered 12 of his disciples so that they can go and cast out spirits. He empowered them over the power of the enemy to cast them out from people and from places. Then he also gave them power. This power was to heal all kinds of sickness, all kinds, and to heal all kinds of disease. What power is this? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God not only was interested in Jesus demonstrating this power over sickness and demons and and all the hosts of the enemy, he empowered the twelve, And when we read on, Jesus calls 70 people, more people, empower them and tells them to get on with the job. Gives them that power. And then we see in Acts chapter 1 that uh, that power was given to the 120. Is that power available for us today? Church, this is the church's greatest hour. Why am I saying that? While the world is getting more and more wicked and darker, it gives us the opportunity to shine brighter. When you shine light in light, you hardly see it. But when you shine light in darkness, everyone sees it. When the world is getting more darker, don't look at the world and get depressed. Begin to look at it and say, what an opportunity to shine as light. Is this power relevant for us today? In Acts chapter 2, we see not only the 120 were baptized with the Holy Spirit to receive power. I want to just emphasize this. The baptism with the Holy Spirit was not meant to speak in tongues. Can somebody shout an amen? No, that's not loud enough. Can somebody shout a loud amen? Amen. Say this after me. The baptism with the Holy Spirit was not meant to speak in tongues. You like that? Today, everyone wants to speak in tongues. For what? No, then I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Hey, speaking in tongues is only a sign. What is it? What is it? It was never meant to be the job. And we get more people talking in, I don't know what tongue they keep talking. And they're so complacent and so satisfied, they're just tongue-talking believers. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit was to empower you. Say the word empower you. You are citizens of heaven because God meant that we be empowered with the Holy Spirit. To do what? Not to sit on chairs. He empowered us so that we can have authority over demons and evil spirits. Why? To cast them out. There are as many demons as was in Jesus' days today. In fact, I wonder if they multiplied. But that's not good doctrine. And everywhere you go, you bump into these demons or these demons bump into you. People are infested with demonic power. 
Not only demons inhabit people, but they inhabit places, and there are places which are under the influence of the enemy. I'm going to read a message that I got from David Fernandez this morning. Probably we could uh, pray. It says, good morning, Victor and Annie. Delighted to tell you that 48 people finally turned up for our encounter weekend. They're organizing it in Bombay. All very hungry to be set free. You must see all this as a fruit of your ministry in God. Thank you once again for being faithful and generous in giving what God has anointed and given you. Uh, much love, David and Lynn. You know, they're launching it. And he says, we can't handle it. We don't have enough of team people. Can you come down? I said, no, I can't. I got precious people here. I thought you'd say amen. <laughs> there are so many needs, so many needs. We can't cope with the needs of people today. There are too many. Because God, and God knew it. And God wanted to restore godly order back in people's lives. God's heart was that no one will be a captive. But everyone who come to Christ will be free and live in the freedom. That's why Jesus announced in John chapter 10 verse 10, I've come to give you life. Church, if you're not experiencing life, something is wrong with your Christian life. And I'm not just talking about life. It's just abundant life. Abundant life is not material goods. Abundant life is having the peace, the joy, the health, the wholeness that God wants us to have. It includes everything. God says, abundant life is made available to you. We all have one enemy, and the enemy is Satan in his kingdom. One enemy. If you have two, you have a problem. Get rid of the other one. Keep it one. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to empower us. Look at what it says in verse 38. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and then he preaches. Who preaches? Peter. The same guy who denied Jesus cocked crew three times. He stands up with unusual courage. Look at the forgiveness of God. No condemnation, no guilt. He didn't say to the people, you know, once upon a time I was like you. You know, I was that guy who, you know, betrayed Jesus and the cock crew. It was me. But now, thank God for mercy. He talks nothing about his past. He stands up with such audacity and he tells them, Repent! Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar of as many as the Lord our God will call. God's called you. Can I see your hands? Did God call you? You are sons of God. You are citizens of heaven. You are one with God and his angels. He's called you. We started this year, 31st night. With this whole message of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And I believe that we are living in a day where the church has tremendous opportunities to display the power of God. Am I right in saying that? Tremendous opportunities. Hospitals are packed with sick people. You have as many sick people outside the hospital than in the hospital. Not true? All are looking for answers. What an opportunity for the church to get right and be empowered by the Spirit of God. Being a citizen of heaven is not child's play. Being a citizen of heaven means that we are empowered. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're listening to me? We must desire to see God in action. Is that your desire? I would love people blind see, deaf hear, cripple walk. What exciting days. Am I right? How will it come? It will come by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is so much more for every one of us. Look, when God gave the disciples power, He didn't say, no, I've given you such a precious gift, you and your family can be very happy. And you can cast the demons from one another. <laughs> oh, we would love to do it. Even if we didn't have the commission, we would want to do that. First person we try, husband and wife. If not husband and wife, they practice on children. You see, 
Jesus empowered us for others. Can you say this after me? Jesus empowers us for others. I didn't hear that properly, so we'll say it again. Jesus empowers us for others. Their freedom. Their healing. So where we lack? We lack in our love for others. As long as the sickness doesn't touch you, Lord, uh, poor have mercy on him, bless him. When it touches your family, oh Lord, I can't eat, you want to fast, you want others to fast with you. Why, what happened? You never thought it will come so close to your family. Everything that Jesus did was for other people. He empowered 12 for others to be set free. He sent out 70 for others to go out and set other people free. Peter says, the power of the Holy Spirit is, is for every generation. For what? For other people. Our Christian life was never meant to be for ourselves. It was always meant for other people. It's no longer me, myself, and my family. The world needs to become our family. And there are enough of people who you could help in this world. You don't even have to ask God, God, show me who to help. They're right there in your face. Throughout the week, there are needy people. Ask God, God, help me. That's why Jesus didn't, didn't say, Lord, give us harvesters. Jesus prayed, Lord, send them out, Lord. They're all here, send them out. And he told us to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers. Look at someone, just dig that person. God is talking to you. Just, just nudge them. Nudge them Why did he say send them out? Because they took the power and they sat down. And when they took the power and sat down, they're saying, Lord, you know, I, I don't have power to heal. I don't have... How would you know if you don't lay hands on someone? How would you know if you never try casting out a demon from someone else? Try it and see. But not your family member. Relatives, maybe. No, no. We have the same commissions the disciples had. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are ambassadors of Christ. Can you say that after me? I'm ambassador of Christ. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I love to look at the meanings of these words. We looked at the meaning of citizen. It's amazing. We look at the meaning of ambassador. Here's it for you. An ambassador is one who is an accredited diplomat. Okay? I'm going to read that again. An ambassador is one who is an accredited diplomat. The word accredited means officially recognized or authorized. That's the meaning of the word accredited. The word diplomat means an official representative of another country. That's the word of diplomat. I'm breaking it down so that we can all understand this. Sent by a state as its permanent representative in a foreign country. Understood? So now I would, won't break it up, I'll read the full sentence. An ambassador is one who is an accredited diplomat sent by a state as his permanent representative in a foreign country. How do we apply this to ourselves as Christians? How do we apply this when the Bible says we are ambassadors of Christ? This is what the Bible means. That every born again Christian is an accredited diplomat. You're an accredited diplomat. Who accredited you? God through Jesus Christ. You become accredited. You are a diplomat. You are an official representative of another country. Sent by Jesus as a permanent representative of heaven in this world. How many of you want to be ambassadors of Christ? You are an ambassador of Christ. Can you say this after me? I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm accredited by the blood of Jesus. I am an official representative of heaven sent by Jesus to be his permanent representative in this world. You like that? I love it. Remember I said last Sunday, in being a citizen of heaven, there's no dual citizenship. 
you know, we like the privileges. I want to be a citizen of this world and enjoy all of this, but I also want to be a citizen of heaven. Sorry, you're more than a citizen, you're a diplomat. Can you tell someone that? You're a diplomat of heaven. Assigned on earth for a task. That's why Jesus empowered the disciples. Every diplomat is empowered in another country. They don't change citizenship. They represent the country which sent them. And that's why they're called diplomats. That's an ambassador. He's empowered by that country. The Bible calls us as ambassadors of Christ. Why? We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are heaven's diplomat on earth. As Christ's chosen representatives. To do the work that God has called us to do. If you want to you have a crowd, just say healings and miracles are happening and you get the crowd. If you don't want the crowd, say a prayer meeting and they will disappear. <laughs> you see, the enemy knows where to weaken us. If there's anything the enemy hates, is praying people and a praying church. Because prayer is a powerhouse where we receive power from Hanai. To do the work that God called us to do. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 16 verse 17 and 18. And these signs will follow those who? Who? These signs will follow who? Those who believe. Jesus never wanted us to follow signs. That's why when they asked Jesus give us a miracle. He didn't give them a miracle. Why? You never follow a sign. You never follow miracles. Today people hear there's someone in, in Chennai. Oh, Chennai, they're doing some miracles. We will pack our bags and we will go to Chennai. You hear someone else in Punjab, we'll pack our bags and we'll go to Punjab. Why? We are following the signs. You know why religion is prospering? Religion is prospering because they promise signs. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. You need to put your garland, light your candles, or put some uh, masala. <laughs> something, some coconuts or something. You get your miracle. And people say, wow, I want a sign. That's all they want is a sign. Hey, God called us to be ambassadors. An ambassador will have signs following them. You like that? What signs? In my name, they will cast out demons. You can't avoid it. It's everywhere in the Bible. First sign of a believer. What will you do? What will you do? Say it in modern language. Give the devil a hard time. What will you do? Say it again. Are you listening to what the Bible is saying? So if you have a fear of demons, please meet me after the service. First sign as a believer. Are you believers this morning? I hope there are no unbelieving believers. There's no category in the Bible like that. We're either a believer or an unbeliever. So what are we this morning? What? Then these signs shall follow you. First sign is you will cast demons out. From where? From people and places. Second sign. They will speak with new tongues. This is even before the day of Pentecost. Jesus is saying this. What you shall do? Speak with new tongues. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. They will take up serpents dealing with witchcraft. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now this is not going to say, wow, these signs shall follow me. Give me that poison, I'll show you I'm a believer. Hmm. I'll have to turn up for your funeral next. And this is talking about, remember Jesus says, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. There will be people who will want to destroy you. There will be an enemy that wants to destroy you and eradicate you because these signs are following you. It says, be assured that even if someone does something with wrong intent or with evil intent, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Then they shall lay hands on the sick and then what happens? They die. No, they recover. He lay hands on the sick and recover. You know what? The best place to 
to practice this on yourself. Lay hands on yourself. Say, Lord, these signs shall follow me. Start laying hands on people and believe God for them to recover. Do it. Have a, have a vision for your Christian life. Have an ambition. When God called me into ministry, I was wondering, Lord, what's my calling? What's my gifting? And, you know, every young person goes through that. What's my calling? What's my gifting? And we make a big thing out of it. And I stumbled upon this verse in Mark chapter 16. And I remember saying in the Bible college, if these signs only followed me as a believer, I have a ministry. True? I can't hear you. So don't be preoccupied and saying, Lord, what's my ministry? Get connected with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I want these signs to follow me. And if you have these signs following you, you will have people knocking on your door and say, please pray for me. And I hope they're not believers, but they'll be unbelievers. A preacher told me this. Good advice. People need prayers. You need the practice. So keep doing it. Okay? It's a good advice. They need prayers. You need practice. So wherever you have an opportunity to practice, practice on don't be discouraged if the person dies after that. You know, I had a track record. Five people in a row. I prayed for them. I called up the next day, died. Called up next day, died. Five. And then all of my friends said, please don't pray for anyone else. <laughs> and here, full of faith, I called up next day. And at the background, I should have recognized some singing was going on. I said, how's your daughter? She just passed away. Did it discourage me? Of course it did. But it challenged me. It challenged me. And I said, God, there has to be an answer. And every time I get challenged, I want to go back for more power. Where do you get it? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And the more of the Holy Spirit we have, the more we can offer this dying world. How many more people are going to be the victims of cancer? How many more people are going to be the victims of tumors and all sorts of tragic sickness hitting people, left, right, and centers, ministers of God, people, uh, believers and unbelievers, plagued some sickness or the other. The fear of sickness has hit people. It's time to take our assignment seriously. We are ambassadors of heaven. Jesus, after that, spoke to them, saying, You know, these signs were meant for everyone. And says, verse 19, He was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word to the accompanying signs. Yeah, so, I say, every believer must have these three signs. What's it? Preach. Heal and deliver. Am I right? Can you say it? What's the three signs? Preach, heal. So the easy way to remember it is you get your PhD degree. P, preach, H, heal, D, deliver. So when you become an ambassador and these signs follow you, you become a PhD. Our citizenship is permanent. It's the last point. Our citizenship is permanent. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Our citizenship is not only now, it's guaranteed even in the future. And that's the good news for us. We have eternal life, life that never dies. Good news is that when you die, you're not going to be an elephant in the next life. You're not, neither are you going to be a grasshopper hopping from one place to another place. You may be like a grasshopper now, but if you have eternal life, you'll be with Christ forever eternal. That's why when people die who know Christ, it's not much of a moaning and beating their chest because we know they have eternal life and we will see them face to face. Eternal life is a reality. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 12, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. 
And this life is in the Son, that's in Jesus. Whoever has the Son, has Jesus, has life. He who does not have the Son of God, does not have life. If you have Jesus in your life, you have eternal life. I'm going to give people an opportunity this morning. If you don't know what it is to be a Christian, you do not know what it is to receive Christ personally as your Savior, you can do it this morning. In John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And Jesus promises them a mansion in heaven. He promises us a mansion in heaven. Why? Because we have eternal life. So how do we become a citizen of heaven? Two simple steps that enrolls us as a citizen of heaven. And it's in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. If we confess with our mouth, that the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of your sin. Saved from dying in, in despair with no hope and no God in your life. You will save. You don't have to live in the, the consequences of your sinful life. No matter how sinful you are, no matter what the consequences are, when you confess with your mouth, Believe in your heart. Jesus died on the cross. He can save you from the penalty of your sin. He can save you from the consequences of your sin. And he offers you eternal life. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai.com hyphen ministries.com